0: Welcome. Glad that you're here. I am really glad that you're here this morning. Hey, before we get started, if somehow you slipped in without picking up one of these handouts, raise your hand. If you didn't get one, regardless of how old you are, raise your hand. Uh, there's some people who are going to get you one for sure. Everybody needs to have a handout this morning. For the past... Four or five months, we have been praying and planning and preparing for these next seven weeks and beyond. For the past couple of weeks, I have been trying to get you a little bit curious, at least, about where we believe that God is leading us into 2019. And starting today, my goal is to get you excited, but also to get you involved in where we believe God is leading us as we begin this new year. Today begins our Every Believer Witness effort here at Bay Area. And for the next two months, for the rest of January and all of February, uh, we're going to be sharing some information that myself and the eldership have been exposed to. And as I said, we've talked about it and prayed about it. And we've come to the conclusion that we just need to do a better job of telling people our Jesus story. So for the next several weeks, our schedule is going to be a little bit different. Um, compressed a little bit to give me a little more time. We were told when we were, we were uh, planning for this, we were told it's going to take the preacher at least an hour to share each of these sermons. Relax. I can't preach for an hour so we're we're condensing uh parts of our service to uh to give me a little extra time, but I promise if you'll dial in, if you'll stay with me, we'll get through this pretty pretty uh quickly and uh, but it's really important information. You'll notice too that uh as as uh Travis mentioned, doing things a little bit differently, we have more of our kids in here. We also have our elders and their wives. And a couple of really servant-hearted deacons who are staffing the nursery and the front door and the lobby and uh, Bible hour, so we thank them for that as well. First grade teacher asked one of her students, "If you had five apples and I asked you to share one with me, how many apples would you have?" The little boy said, "I'd have five. I don't share very well." You know, for some people, that sort of sums up our attitude when we think about sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. We seem to have the attitude, well, I I just don't share very well. But that's not God's attitude. We talk about sharing what we've been given. God is really clear on His expectations for His children. He wants us to be telling people about Jesus. And whatever you want to call it, you want to call it uh, witnessing or soul winning if you're from that era, sharing Jesus, evangelism, whatever you want to call it, the reality is what most Christians actually practice is virtual evangelism. And by the way, we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about us telling people about Jesus. We're not talking about sending money for someone else to tell people about Jesus, which is a great thing. We're not even talking about inviting people to church, which is a very good thing. We're talking about going and telling people our Jesus story. Jesus died for my sins. He was in a tomb for three days and God brought him back to life. Today he sits at the right hand of God. And because of that sacrifice, I have the opportunity of a relationship with my Lord and Savior. Beyond this life, all the way into eternity. But too often our evangelism becomes virtual evangelism. I don't know how many of you have ever done the, the virtual reality thing. I mean, it's kind of cool, once or twice. You, know, you put the goggles on and you sort of feel like you're somewhere else. Maybe you're doing the thing with the roller coaster. You know, you you, you kind of feel like you're sitting on a roller coaster, and it looks like you're sitting on a roller coaster, and it sounds like it. And it's you know, you lean this way when you're supposed to, and you lean this way when you're supposed to, and your your stomach gets a little bit queasy. But when it's over, you take those goggles off and you're still sitting on the couch in your pajamas. You haven't gone anywhere. You sort of felt like you did. You maybe convinced yourself for a while that you were on a roller coaster, but you hadn't really gone anywhere and you hadn't really done anything. I think that happens a lot of times with Christians. We come to church and we talk about evangelism and we talk about witnessing Maybe we even convince ourselves that we're taking you know, some kind of role in it, but the truth is we don't really go anywhere. and We don't really do anything. I want you to listen to some statistics. Uh, sobering statistics. 95% of all Christians, this is across all Christians, 95% of people who claim that they belong to Jesus, 95% will never personally bring another person to Jesus and what's even sadder than that 90% will never even try how is that possible how is it possible that as wonderful as we say Jesus is and by the way he's much more wonderful than we can imagine if Jesus is that wonderful why aren't we talking about him more Why aren't we telling people about Jesus? And that's actually what I want to talk to you about this morning. Turn in your handout to page two. Why aren't we more motivated? I don't usually do this, but but you're going to have some opportunities to kind of follow along in that handout, fill in some blanks. I hope it keeps you engaged a little bit. But I want to share three reasons why most people aren't telling their friends and their neighbors about Jesus. And the first reason is this. Some Christians ignore or misunderstand Jesus' commands. It's the first blank on page two. Some Christians ignore or misunderstand Jesus' commands. In all four Gospels, Jesus himself is going to command us to share the good news of the kingdom. They're listed there, a couple of them in, in your notes. And again, I want to do things a little bit differently this morning. I want to keep us engaged a little bit Usually I read, you know, what's on the screen, but some of the times this morning I want us to read together uh, some things that Scripture has to share with us. So, Matthew's account that's in your notes or it's on the screen, let's read that together. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark will record a similar command. Luke records a similar command. John says this in John 20, 21. Again, let's read it together. Again, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This command to go, to proclaim, to share, to tell, to witness. That's the responsibility of every single Christian. But most people, most Christians will tell you, "Um, you know, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very comfortable doing that. It's awkward. It's not my thing. It's not my gift. My gift is not evangelism. And by the way, there there is some merit to that. Some believers are evangelists. And we know that's true because of what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. Paul will say this. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read it together. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Yeah, check your airflow while you're reading there. <laughs> I don't know what that is. So yes, yeah, some people are pastors, and some are apostles, and some are evangelists. Not everybody, but some However, in contrast, all believers are witnesses. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you call Jesus your Lord, if you claim to be a Christian, you have not only the ability, you have the responsibility to be telling people your Jesus story. Again, if you're not a Christian this morning, this doesn't apply to you, okay? But if you're a Christian, and I think most of us are, we have not only the ability, we have the responsibility to be telling people about Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read it together. We're over here now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. I don't have to tell you that we have a lot of talent in this congregation. In fact, I am amazed at the talents and the abilities and the gifts that we have in this congregation. There's so many of you that can do so many things that I I just can't do. And you probably know other people that do things that that you can't do. But we can all do this. We can all be a witness for Jesus. Take a look at the top of page 3 in your notes. Before we go on to the next reason. It's important to understand the why of witnessing. That's really what today's lesson is about. The why of witnessing. Why is this so important? Why is it such a big deal? What's really at stake? Again, the Apostle Paul has some thoughts regarding this idea, the why of witnessing. Romans chapter 16. Let's read this together. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ so that all nations might believe and obey Him to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. On your note page there, circle those words, so that. Draw a circle around so that. Paul is saying, I want the gospel of Jesus to be proclaimed so that nations might believe and obey Him. It's God's desire that all people should worship Him through Jesus Christ. And when people become worshipers, Jesus says that brings glory to God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4.15, let's read it. As God's grace brings more people to Christ, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. It's a great plan of God's. The more He blesses us, the more we do. Why wouldn't we, right? We tell people what Jesus uh, has done in our lives. And those people are drawn to worship. Jesus draws people to worship. Worship should lead people to witnessing, which will lead to more worship. Worshippers. So our worship grows And when our worship grows, more people are telling others about Jesus. And as more people are telling others about Jesus, they come and worship, and worship grows, and more people tell others about Jesus, and it really is a beautiful thing. That's how God intends it to work. So, why don't we tell more people about Jesus? Well, reason number one, some Christians ignore or misunderstand the commandments of Jesus. And here's a second reason. Many Christians have misplaced priorities. I'm at the top of page 4 in your notes. Many Christians have misplaced priorities. Now you think back when you became a Christian. You realized that you were dead in your sins. You realized the, the position that you were in. And you realized that Jesus was the way to change that. And so you repented of your sins. You went public. And you, you told people that Jesus is my Lord. You confessed Him. You were obedient in baptism to Jesus. There was a new focus. There was an excitement. You, you, you were experiencing joy. But then, other things started creeping into your life. Just like Jesus promised they would. Let's read together Mark chapter 4, verse 19. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in. Mark says that, actually Jesus says, three different things happen here. Three different things that are going to distract you from being and doing what God has called us to be and do. And I want to talk about each real quickly. First, he mentions the worries of this life. Some translations read the cares of the world. Question, anyone here have cares today? Anyone here have worries? Anyone? Yeah, just every second of every day, right? We all have cares and worries. In fact, do this for me. Turn to the person to your right and say, I have worries. Go ahead. Now, turn to the person to your left and say, so do I. I appreciate the fact that so many of you actually went, so do I. We do, right? Everybody does. We all have worries. We all have cares. A doctor said to his patient, I got good news and bad news. The good news is, you're not a hypochondriac. <laughs> Listen, everybody has some level of bad news that we're dealing with. Everybody you meet is dealing with some level of bad news. And we have to deal with it. I'm, I'm not suggesting, oh, it's okay, you know, don't think about it, it's not that bad. It is that bad sometimes. We have to deal with hard times. We have to deal with life when it gets very difficult. But we don't deal with it alone. Difficult times don't define us. How we handle difficult times, that's what defines us. Do we run to God? Or do we sort of give God the stiff arm in difficult times? And by the way, when we're talking about witnessing, some of the most powerful witnessing you will ever do is in the middle of a very difficult season of your life. When things are really difficult, people are paying attention to what you're saying and what you're doing and how you're living. Don't let a difficult season distract you from telling other people your Jesus story. We're pulled away by the worries of this life. And then Jesus mentions the deceitfulness of wealth. You know, the Bible commands us to work. The Bible commands us to to provide for our families. It takes money to live. But so many times we just want a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. Martha and I pretty often watch HGTV, the the House Hunter shows, those kind of programs, where people are, you know, going around viewing houses, deciding where to live. Those shows always amaze me. Really, there's two things that I just, I'm always stunned at when I watch those shows. One is the budget that these people have, like 23 year olds with an $850,000 budget, and we're not going over that. Now, what do these guys do for a living? But the other thing that amazes me almost every episode is people will walk into a beautiful house and someone will say, you know, the wife or the husband, this kitchen's a total gut job. I will not live in a house that doesn't have a white kitchen. I have to have, you know, granite countertops. They're not stainless steel appliances. I can't live here. No, here's another $40,000. I've got to I've got to change out it's a beautiful house. We spend money on everything. You know, there's a DVD that you can buy that will actually tell you who is smarter, you or your dog. <laughs> it will tell you how to, how to judge your dog's IQ. Some psychologists from Canada come up with this thing, on a DVD on how to tell your dog's IQ. Here's how it works. If you will buy his DVD for $24.95... Your dog is the smart one. Jesus tells us wealth is a deceitful thing. It'll pull us away from our focus on Jesus, It'll it'll cause the gospel to be unfruitful. And then Jesus mentions one more He talks about the desires for other things. Now usually when we think about other things that distract us from Jesus, we think about things like selfishness, lust, materialism, or greed. You know, those, those dangerous things. But there is also a real danger of good things pulling us away from our focus on Jesus. You know, good is quite often the very biggest enemy of best. Things that we get focused on. Not, not bad things, not destructive things, not sinful things in and of themselves, just other things. We get so caught up in the here and now. We get so dialed into the urgent that we sort of push aside the things that we know to be important. We can't allow desires for other things, even good things, to distract us from the good news of Jesus. Why don't we tell more people our Jesus story? Well, one reason many Christians ignore or misunderstand Jesus' commands. Another reason many Christians have misplaced priorities. And then a third reason why more of us aren't sharing more of Him is that most Christians forget about the fate of lost people. Top of page 6 in your notes most Christians forget, or at least they don't spend very much time thinking about the fate of lost people. And when I say lost people, I'm not talking about lost people in China. I'm not talking about lost people in some jungle in South America or walking the strip in Las Vegas. I'm talking about lost people in Hillsborough County, Florida. Specifically, I'm talking about lost people that we go to work with, and that live in our neighborhood, that we go to school with, that we hang out with. People that we know who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about people that we know. Allow me to let Jesus remind us of uh, the fate of your lost friends. Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about two men. If you grew up going to church, you know this story well the story of Lazarus and the rich man. It's going to be familiar. Uh, Let me read through this story and we'll stop and make some observations along the way. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Jesus is telling a story about two men who in this life had absolutely nothing in common. One was a rich man. He had it all. Everyone wanted to be him. The other was a poor beggar by the name of Lazarus. I mentioned a few months ago when we looked at this story, this is the only time, the only story, the only parable that Jesus tells where He actually gives a name to one of the characters. And He names this character, Lazarus. This man has nothing. Nothing. In fact, he's covered in in sores. You can picture dogs coming and licking those sores. This guy is so hungry he'll eat anything that he can find. Let me state the obvious point that, that Jesus, I don't think, wants us to miss. Everyone is going to die. Everyone you know is going to die unless Jesus returns first. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Rich people die. Poor people die. Old people die. Young people die. Republicans die. Democrats die. Gator fans die. Seminole fans die. My son would say that Seminole fans died a little bit every Saturday this last fall. (laughs) You know, here I am making light of it, but the chilling reality is everyone you know is going to die someday. I saw this in the paper last week. Maybe you did as well. Eileen Catherine Kelly passed away on New Year's Eve at the age of 107. I just saw on the news this morning that the oldest living um, um, service man, yeah, World War II, serviceman service man, uh, died this past week at 112. Uh, Miss Kelly, by the way, some of you might have known her. She was buried in Tampa. Usually when I think of death, that's what I think of. It's way out there somewhere. Way out there. Yes, I'm going to die someday. 107, 112, I don't know. I still think of myself as a middle-aged man, and I am, if I live to be 118. (laughs) But we kind of think, you know, that's way out there somewhere. This past week I went back and looked, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, at the obituaries in the Tampa Times. Let me share with you the ages of some people that were listed there. I'm not going to give you their names, but, but here are some ages. Died this past week or two in Hillsborough County. 91. 68, 72, 47, 33, 14. Unless Jesus returns first, every single person you know is one day going to die. We just don't know when. But death isn't the end, Jesus continues his story. In hell, where he was in torment, talking about the rich man, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Here's another thing that Jesus does not want us to miss as he's telling this story. Hell is real. There is a real place that the Bible refers to as hell. And I know that is not politically correct for me to say that. I know when I say that, there are people, maybe some of you in this room will say, you know what, that is really so closed-minded. You are so unenlightened when you say that. But Scripture, including Jesus Himself, is very clear on this. There is a real place called hell. Everyone is going to die, and after that, the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27, And everyone who does not belong to Jesus, everyone who is not a child of God's, is going to be thrown into what Scripture calls the lake of fire. A nine-year-old boy was listening to a preacher talk about hell. And he drew a picture of what he was listening to. And he drew a picture of what he imagined hell to be like. Um, And he drew it showing different like prison cells of who would be in hell. And here's what he drew. I'm not sure you can read that, but uh, in one cell, one prison cell of hell, there's homicidal maniacs. Um, In a second prison cell, he has terrorists. In a third, he put super liars will be in hell. You know what he put in the fourth uh, cell of hell? People who drive too slow in the fast lane. A special place in hell, I guess. Preserved. A nine-year-old boy. You you wonder what his mom and dad, you know, talked about when someone was driving slow in the fast lane. And again, we, we sort of laugh at that. You know, we sort of joke about that. But you want to know who's going to hell? It's not just homicidal maniacs. It's not just terrorists. It's not just super liars. You want to know who's going to be in hell? Your best friend, if they don't know Jesus. The people you care about the most, if they don't know Jesus, they are lost. Jesus wants us to know that that hell's not only a real place, but it's a horrible place. Look back at the story. Let Let me read part of that again. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Notice some of the words that he uses in that description. In, in your notes, circle, circle the word torment. Circle the word down here at the bottom, Agony. Circle the word fire in your notes. And let me remind you of something that should be obvious. As you read that, that's not my words. That's not some preacher trying to manipulate your emotions. That's not some preacher trying to scare you. I'm not trying to ask for money to be sent to some ministry somewhere. That's Jesus. That's the Son of God saying, this is real. And this is what it is. And that's Jesus saying, I do not want you to go there. Jesus describes hell as a real place, a horrible place. So horrible that the rich man longs for just a touch of water to give him some measure of relief. But then notice Abraham's response. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now He is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Here's a second point that that Jesus wants us to understand. In hell, there is no second chance. You know, while we're alive, while we're here, there is second, third, fourth, fifth. We had chance after chance after chance. That's not the case once judgment has happened. Abraham tells the rich man, not only is it inappropriate for you to ask what you are asking, it is impossible for me to grant your request. There's a chasm. There's a gulf. People can't cross over. You can't go back and forth. You can't change sides. There is no second chance for people in hell. And then notice... The rich man's request sort of shifts at that point. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Let me tell you something else Jesus wants us to understand. People in hell don't want their friends and their family to join them. You know, I've seen bumper stickers and t-shirts and things. I'm sure you have too. They say, you know, I'm going to party with my friends in hell. And I I really cringe when I read that. You know, your friends in hell, they don't want you to join them. You have no idea what you're saying. You have no idea the torment that, that, that hell represents. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. You know, I used to think when I was younger, I don't know about that. I think if someone came back from the dead and warned me, that that might get my attention. But then I've come to realize that God uses the gospel, not miracles, to save people. God has a message that He wants people to hear. And the message is Jesus. The message is Jesus came to the earth. He died on a cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead. Jesus saves people. Let's be clear on that. The good news is Jesus saves people. And the good news is, we get to, to participate in that. That's the message of the gospel. God has provided us a way to take advantage of that sacrifice, to actually participate in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus through baptism, Romans chapter 6. Uh, given us a way to, to have the Holy Spirit to work within us and through us. It's given us a, an opportunity to have this abundant life that Scripture talks about here on earth as well as an eternal home with God in heaven. But God doesn't just ordain a message. He also ordained a method to share the message. And really, God's method for sharing the good news of Jesus is really simple. Here it is. People who know Jesus telling people who don't know Jesus how they can know Jesus. That's it. That's God's plan. People who know Jesus telling people who don't know Jesus how they can know Jesus. And there is no backup plan. God doesn't have a plan B. That's the plan. People who know Jesus telling people who don't know Jesus how they can know Jesus. Listen, if your friends, if your, your co-workers, your classmates, your neighbors, if they show up here at Bay Area, I promise you they're going to hear the gospel they're going to hear the good news of Jesus. If they sit through a sermon, if they sit through a class, they're going to hear the good news. But the reality is that the vast majority of your friends and co-workers and neighbors, they're not going to walk through those doors. They just aren't. So the best chance they have of hearing the good news of Jesus is for you to tell them. Their best chance of going to heaven is for you to introduce them to Jesus. So what now? I'm on the last page. What now? Based on what we've just seen in God's word, and what should you do today? And the operative word in that sentence is, "Do." What do we do with this information? James says in James 1.22, let's read it together. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now if all you do is walk in this morning, sit down and, and, and listen and walk out of here unchallenged and unchanged, James says you're fooling yourself. you really accomplished nothing. So this morning I want to issue two challenges for, for really everyone in the room. And here's challenge number one. Decide to obey the Lord in witnessing. And this challenge is for our faith lane students, for our our teenagers, our millennials, you know, generation X, Y, Z, baby boomers, old timers, everybody in between. Decide to obey the Lord in witnessing. Because when you do, not only are you changing lives for eternity, but you're bringing glory to God. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before His arrest. Uh, John records some of that prayer. Read it with me. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus said, I have brought the Father glory because I did what He told me to do. When we do what God tells us to do, we bring glory to God. So here's my second challenge for for everyone in the room. Ask God to give you a burden for people. Ask God to give you a passion and a love and a concern for your lost friends. You remember once a Bible expert came to Jesus. This guy knew the law, forward and backward. He was the one everybody went to when you had questions about the law. He came to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? Of all these commandments we have, what's the big one? What's the one we have to get right? And he's trying to trick Jesus, but Jesus gives him a straight-up answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And then he doesn't ask for the second one, but Jesus says, I'll give you the second one, like to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We know that. But how can we say we love our neighbor if we don't tell them about Jesus? How can we really love anyone if we don't tell them about Jesus? If we don't tell them that their sins can be forgiven? If we don't tell them that they can have an abundant life? That they can go to heaven one day. So I'm asking all of us to make a commitment to obey the Lord in witnessing and have a burden for people. Now, I say that and I realize that many of you are right there so, for many of you, this is really a recommitment. But for the rest of us, would we commit to being obedient to the Lord and witnessing and having a burden for people? And by the way, you're going to make a commitment. You might be thinking, nah, I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to stay neutral. No, you can't be neutral when it comes to witnessing. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. Let's read it together. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When it comes to Jesus, you can't be neutral. Jesus can't be a way. It's got to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus can't be a part of your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you too will appear with Him in glory. Jesus says, he who does not gather with me. When Jesus says, he who does not gather with me, he's not talking about gathering ideas. He's not talking about gathering crops. He's talking about gathering souls. He who does not gather with me scatters. You can't be neutral. You can't play Switzerland in this thing. You've got to take a side. When you leave the uh, auditorium this morning, there is going to be some ushers at all three of the doors, and they've got a card to hand out. And I'm going to really encourage you to take one of those cards. On that card is this prayer. Lord, I want to obey you in witnessing. Help me care about my coworkers, classmates, friends, neighbors, and family the way you care about them. I'm going to encourage all of you, pick up one of those cards on your way out the door. Put it someplace where you'll see it every day. Put it on your nightstand, on your dresser, somewhere where you'll see it. And I'm challenging us to be praying that prayer every day this week. Lord, I want to obey you in witnessing. Help me care about my coworkers, classmates, friends, neighbors, and family the way you care about them. I think it will be interesting to see how God honors that prayer. Now listen, this morning I know we have been focused on the why of this conversation. You've got to come back next week. Because next week we're going to start talking about the how of this whole conversation. How do we tell people about Jesus? How do we tell people our Jesus story? And I've already promised you that if you come with an open heart and an open mind... We're not going to ask you to knock on any door. We're not going to ask you to to memorize some spiel. We're not going to ask you to memorize the book of Acts. We're not going to ask you to listen to a bunch of DVDs. We're going to give you some ways, some practical ways, that you can tell people what Jesus means to you, that you can bring Jesus up in conversation. It's not preachy. It's not pushy. It's not awkward. And I will promise you, once you listen to this, you're going to walk out of here thinking, I could do that. You know, I really think I could do that. As we learn to tell people our Jesus story, because that's what a witness does. We just tell people what we know, what we've seen, and what we've experienced. So next week, we're going to begin getting into the how to do that, uh, some practical ways to allow God to use us. But as we close today, maybe something that, you've heard or something that you've read kind of touched you this morning you know as always as a church family we want to spend some time just uh sharing with each other and if there's something that's going on in your life you really need the prayers of people who love you maybe there's something that you you know you need to share with us that'll bring glory to god a, a praise report There's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium here. If there's something in your life you just really need to share with the family here, meet us at the front. Let's stand and sing.